Thank you so much for downloading and listening to the Weekly Curio Podcast. I'm the Whip Theater's Tom Britton. And I'm College of Curiosity's Jeff Wagg. We begin every week of the Weekly Curio with the first half of our puzzle. All right, you're in London, and of course you're going to ride the Tube. Now, the Tube is famous for its long escalators that go deep into the bowels underneath London. But if you look carefully, you'll notice something a little odd. There are two escalators going up, but only one going down. Why is that? And it's not the first thing you've thought of. One of my big complaints is when bigots use the phrase homosexuality is unnatural. Just that whole word natural becomes problematic. But uh, yeah, so what do you mean there, Mr. Unnatural? What do you mean homosexuality is unnatural? It's well documented in about 500 species of animal. So if we define unnatural to be not occurring within or near nature, like, say, me driving a car (laughs) or going to the moon. Right. Those things are unnatural. Absolutely true. Rogaine is unnatural. Yeah. Ferraris are unnatural. Eyeglasses. You're wearing glasses, right. Yeah, I am too. You know, that's unnatural. These things are unnatural. Agreed. However, homosexual, bisexual behavior, not unnatural. In fact, very... Very natural. I'm not yeah. advocating that people who aren't leaning that way give it a shot. They can if they want. It's up to them. <laughs> I'm okay with it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, what is I'm pro-gay marriage. I'm so liberal, I'm pro-forced gay marriage. It's not, <laughs> right. You, you know, you must marry someone. It's, it's mandatory gay marriage for everyone. <laughs> you pair up for three to five years, the average length of a heterosexual marriage, and that's it. You have great roommate stories the rest of your life. <laughs> and, no, it, but that idea just drives me insane. Yeah, it's just... If you want to argue from a moral standpoint, that's fine. You have a book, and it clearly says things. Yep. But when you say unnatural, I get so incensed. No, it mean it means nothing. There are so many cases, and now, so we can't tell what the sexual orientation of an animal is. That it's kind of a meaningless phrase when applied to animals. But we can observe their behavior, and. There are same-sex animals having sex all the time. And then there are some species where these terms get even vaguer because every animal has male and female sex organs. And when they have sex, they're both impregnated. Or there are fish that will change their gender, change their sex. So you get stuck in the terminology. Yeah, exactly. Uh, They will start producing eggs instead of sperm depending on the population around them. Um, There's even one species that they, this is true, I, I wish I could remember what this species was. They fence, fence like sword fighting with their penises. Yes, and the loser gets impregnated. That's right. The loser becomes the female. He stabbed, gets stabbed and inseminated. Yeah. That loser then becomes the female and bears the children. Uh, research has also found that disabling Fucos maturotase. That stuff. Sounds that like that gene in laboratory mice. Now, that's the gene that influences the levels of estrogen to which the brain is exposed. That caused the female mouse to behave as if it were a male mouse when it grew up. Yeah. So now we've changed sexual behavior of one sex, mm-hmm. but not changed its sex. Right. Which is a whole other category. Right. In humans, that's a whole complicated yeah, gender you know, issue now. Our sexuality is much more complicated than in animals because we do not have sex simply to reproduce. It is a social interaction with us. It's a big part of our identity. For, I imagine for a mouse... It's they get horny and look for an outlet, and that's about the level of their their sexuality. That's all behavior. It's one. It's binary. And I'm not a mouse. I don't know. But for humans, it's wrapped up in everything we do. So we have to pay a lot closer attention to it. However, to say that it's unnatural 
There's no basis for that statement. If you're going to claim it's wrong, you're going to point to a book that says it's wrong. And I'm going to say, okay, that's what you think that book says. Or a feeling. You can have a vague ethical feeling. That has some validity in other arguments. Sure. I don't like the idea. I just feel it's wrong. Good. Good for you. Okay. Yeah, you're you're fine. You don't like it. Fine. Um, You know, and then we have to talk about the law. The law is not here to enforce your feelings. The law is to provide people with as much freedom as possible until it starts impeding other people's freedoms. And, you know, this is going to get into a political discussion really quickly. And that's the difficulty. Yeah. In, animal, in other animal species where we see sex tied into social structure, in dolphins, in bonobos, bonobos and chimps, sure. and dogs, yeah. you have a lot of male-on-male, female-on-female, or group interaction mm-hmm. moving through. So it makes sense that in a highly evolved social hierarchy, as we've always had, yeah. even from primitive times... Oh, absolutely. Sex would have gone as a component, as does petting, as does handshakes and hugs right. and pats on the back and touching on the head and everything else that's associated with that. We have, we're such a social species. And cultural, too. I mean, you know, in Roman times, well, so here are a couple of things that might offend people, and it's not my intent to offend you, but if it happens, oh, well, these are just facts. Roman times, um, men having sex together was like them playing poker. Yeah, Papua New you Guinea. Know? Papua New Papua Guinea, New homosexuality Guinea, is still a rite of passage for young males, not for females, but for right, males. Right, for young males in uh, Afghanistan. And this, I am not judging. I'm just stating facts here. There's a saying that women are for children, boys are for fun. At the Greeks had a belief that because your wife needed to be a virgin, had to be right. for there, okay? And if you accept the idea that also you can't control your sexual impulses as a male. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I love because that, yeah. those two things are facts in their brain... Young men are the only viable option. Right. It's, so it's a weird logical thing. If A plus B, then Q. You have to have sex. You won't have get anyone pregnant this way. Do that. Yeah. It, well, we can't use all of our virgins because who will we marry? <laughs> right. And yet we can't stop. Ha- celibacy is not an option. Right. In the in their mindset, the gods didn't design you that way. Therefore, clearly, young men, blah 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 blah. Yeah. Uh, yeah there you go. It, it's just infuriating at times, and it gets yeah, it gets mushed into the political. But right. I was talking about feelings because a yeah. lawyer in a debate one time once made a very strong point that I like. I was arguing uh, for legalization of prostitution. Okay, sure. The idea that if we do it for free, it's fine, but if I charge you money for it, it's a crime. Mm-hmm. Seemed to me to be illogical. Okay. And this, law, this legal analyst, I think it was it wasn't actually a lawyer, but someone in that professional field made the case that the law isn't just for things you feel are wrong. The law is also to create the kind of society you want. And do mm-hmm. you want to live in a country with brothels in every street corner? Ooh, yeah, that's, uh, that's problematic for me because everybody wants something different. Yes, but it, the things we can agree on that we want, yeah. and you go, oh, yeah, I don't know if I do want to live in a constant red light district with heroin dealers on every corner. Right. As my more libertarian leanings sure. might put me in that category of, well, why make it illegal? I become very Spock. Mm-hmm. Well, why? It's your body. It's your heroin. It's your body. It's your cash you're trading for. Yep. It. It's your, where do I draw the line? And that idea of like, well, some things we feel are wrong as a society are just because we want to live in a certain kind of place. And then when yeah. you walk that into homosexuality, it goes, ah, oh, crap. So what yeah. you've done is you've taken my feelings idea are valid and walked it into, well, I don't like gay dudes getting married. 
Okay. And I go, oh, darn it. Ah, oh, crap. Like, it's, yeah. it's a weird thing. Like, Although, give you permission in one area, but not the other. It's a, it's an answered question, though, because miscegenation, a word that most people don't even know what it means I don't know that anymore. One. What is that miscegenation one? is uh, people marrying outside their race. Now, in the 50s. I did that. This, it's wonderful. No, I highly recommend it. I don't know if I've done I'm it or not. I'm currently doing that. <laughs> right this second, I'm miscegenating. You're a, you're a miscegenator. <laughs> um, well, you know, this is this was illegal up until the '60s. The it, late my 60s. marriage was illegal in our home state of Alabama until 2001. Ah, there you go. Now, so this is a question that was. This was the gay marriage issue of the '30s, '40s, and '50s. This was what people talked about, especially down south. We've answered the question. Did society collapse because we now accept miscegenation as normal? No. And as a nerd, I got to tell you, genetic diversity builds yeah. stronger offspring. Absolutely true. Uh, uh, being from the South, there's a large stereotype of us not wandering far afield <laughs> for, with which to fornicate. <laughs> I went all the way to the other side of the planet yeah. <laughs> for the person with whom I will breed. Yeah, there you and go. And the miscegenation, in theory... Would produce stronger, Absolutely more true. robust... Hybrid vigor. Hybrid <laughs> vigor. So, yeah, in my brain, had you told me that in 1950, hey, you can't marry a black woman or a Jewish person or, in my case, a Pacific Islander, mm -hmm. I would have been like, wait a minute. It, it works better in cattle. It works yeah. better in plants. That's it works right. better in chimps. Why would it not... Why would Hitler be right? Why would exactly, inbreeding be better in that case? You have to keep your lines pure, as somebody told me in Utah. That's kind of a, a It helps you play thing. the banjo better. Yeah, no, it doesn't. <laughs> oh, and look at all the uh, the problems the royalty had, because, you know... Oh, hemophilia is just one yeah, of many. you know... Anyway, genetically, it is wise to, uh, to mate with somebody as different from you as possible. And as far as homosexual behavior goes, I mean... Who cares? Honestly, if you've got a book that says it's wrong, fine. Police yourself. Leave other people alone. That's the hard thing, to get them to put up that fence and go, yeah, yeah, yeah whatever's good in your house. Because they're coming at it from a point of view of love. They're trying to rescue you uh, from damnation. So their sometimes. heart is in the right place. Their head is on another planet. And how, So how do you get them to not give up the idea that they love you? They're trying to save you, cure you, yep, that's pray a tough for problem. you. They don't want me to go to hell, what have you. How do I get them to turn off one part? I don't want to turn off that love, though. Well, I'll I tell want you them what. to help me feed people, help me clothe people, but maybe let those people also be gay or be black and white and married or be mm -hmm. whatever. I have some perfect instructions for someone like that. Let's say you are in a household where it is well known that homosexuality is a sin and you don't wish to promote it. And lo and behold, a brother or a sister growing up in the household hits their age and says, hey, I'm gay. Here's what you can do. Continue loving them. Tell them that what your beliefs are about homosexuality, and then continue loving them. And that's it. You are done. You have fulfilled your obligation. You have nothing else to do. You don't need to take them behind the shed and hit them with a hammer. You don't need to enroll them in one of these bogus anti-gay uh, cure programs, which are not true. Anyway, yeah, politics and stuff, but... Uh, and there's always a weirder relative than you. If you're some <laughs> crazy right-wing person who just says, hey, I don't like that you're gay, but I don't really... Yeah. I'm not going to bother you with it. Someone will trump your crazy in the family 
and you'll just be another regular relative with a goofy opinion. Quick anecdote. I went to a religious conference uh, way back in the 80s. And there Did was you this... lose a bet? What happened? <laughs> no, no. I was, I was exploring <laughs> exploring Christianity and okay. learning what it was about. Okay. okay? And there was a, a very... College years. Everyone's yeah, exploring everyone's the spine. in college. Um, and there was a prominent Baptist minister addressing this room of three or 4,000 people. His name was Tony Campolo, I believe. And he said, as far as homosexuality is concerned, nobody wants anyone else poking around in their bedroom. And then he moved on to another topic. It is actually possible to maintain your beliefs as a Christian, a Muslim, a Jew, whatever you want, and be able to love homosexuals. It, is, it happens all the time. It would appear that black is the new black. It's blacker than it's, yeah, it's very black it's now. so black. So now we finally steer away from political traps. <laughs> now here's just science made a cool thing, guys. Yeah. Everyone relax. <laughs> uh, there's a black that's even blacker than black. Uh, Refinery29.com. I don't know where we get these links. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, according to The Independent, and we'll put that link in the show <laughs> notes. This is this weird blog I found. Uh, Siri Nanosystems, quote, has produced a strange alien material so black <laughs> that it absorbs all but 0.035% of visual light, setting a new record, end quote. 0.035% of light, when you see the picture, if you haven't yet, yeah. all over Reddit, all over Facebook, if you haven't, go to the show notes. Um, it looks like someone took aluminum foil and just photoshopped a black area. It's really... You can't, I mean, we're just looking at pictures of it, which, which is kind of funny because most of us are looking at this on a computer monitor, which is transmitting light. You can't transmit black. It's the absence of light. And yet still, this thing looks wrong. It looks like there's a hole in the universe. If you want to Google it, it's called Vanta Black. V-A-N-T-A-B-L-A-C-K. One word, Vanta or Vanta. Vanta Black. It's groups together a set of nanotubes. I love they have to describe nanotubes as like incredibly thin drinking straws. You guys <laughs> knew what nanotubes were, right? There's no way you're listening to this podcast nanotube. and don't know. Yeah, <laughs> nanotubes? Uh, it, so the reason they make this is it helps calibrate cameras and telescopes astronomers use to photograph and study the universe's oldest entities. Yeah. So this will be a clearer picture of a black hole Clearer pictures yeah. on the Hubble telescope, clearer, longer photos, too, further into the galaxy. They can use this as a target. They can take a picture of this or calibrate a camera against it and say, okay, this is black. Anything that doesn't look like this isn't black. Therefore, it's giving off some light. Let's look at it. And the, go, ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, please. Oh, I was just going to say, and, you know, this, this stuff's really expensive. You're not going to find it in your house anytime soon. But having a material like this has a lot of uses at home too for example if you've ever watched something black on your television you may notice that it's it's not actually black you can't do that you might be able to if we have this behind your screen ben jensen who is surrey nanosystems chief technical officer mentions that look if if if, if this were used i'm going to paraphrase if this were used for one of chanel's little black dresses it's so black there's no contours there's no shapes there's no fall off to give you yeah. perspective so it would appear the wearer's heads and limbs float incorporeally around a dress-shaped hole. 
Yeah, because you the way you see a black dress is you see its reflections. Like, so imagine a normal black dress. It has frills at the bottom, you know, kind of folds and pleats. You couldn't see the folds and pleats because it wouldn't reflect any light at all. You couldn't distinguish between the flat parts and the sticky-outy parts, so you would just have a void. He mentions that it's very costly, but he also said you wouldn't be able to see much more than a floating head and legs. Yeah. He says it like it's a bad thing. I would so buy a Metallica shirt (laughs) that made it look like my head and arms were just floating around an area. One of the things they said was that it's it's simply that we have never encountered a material that looks like this, and our brains don't know how to process it. No, my brain does. It's Photoshop. That's what my brain looks at. My brain goes, oh, someone hasn't added anything to that null area yet. Yep. And what would be weird is seeing that in the real world and thinking, well, clearly I'm looking at Photoshop. Yeah, somehow they've programmed it. There's a glitch in the matrix. That's what it's like. We did it. We figured out how to make chitin into chitosan. Chitosan. Which sounds like you fight Godzilla, right? Right, right. We went to the same place. We're like both (laughs) nodding like, yes, that is the joke. (laughs) The official weekly curio podcast joke of the week. It is. This is is exciting news. I mean, as an environmental nerd, as a hippie nerd, I, I definitely like anything we can take from petroleum to anywhere else without a huge loss of life or limb or money or, you know. Yeah, and it's recycling. It's recycling. So what they yeah. figured out how to do and figured out since the 70s, they've been trying to use arthropod exoskeletons. Right. So shrimp shells. Shrimp shells, crab shells, lobster shells. Uh, they're the example given in the video. Yeah. So you, you eat a bunch of shrimp, you shell it at the factory, and you have all this leftover building material. There's a new process that's chitin. It's made out of chitin, yeah. which polysaccharide, is that what it was? Yeah, polysaccharide. It's polysaccharide. Yeah. Uh, also, the second most abundant biological material next to cellulose, which is the plant version. Cell walls from plants, so right. wood. Wood. Yeah. Uh, so we've got a lot of it. Arthropods are a large portion of biomass on this planet. Uh, not Huge. that we could shell ants, but if you <laughs> add them in, you've got a lot. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a long process, shelling each ant by hand. My handmade kind of hand. <laughs> It's organic right here. Uh, Then they turn that into plastic with the same durability. I wouldn't even mind if it had less durability. I occasionally wouldn't mind throwing out my slightly dingy-looking old plastic cups if I could do it without guilt. Yeah, they, they said that it'll start breaking down in three weeks. And I'm like, well, so if I had a Tupperware container, I don't know that I'd want it to start breaking down after three weeks. So I'm a little curious as to exactly what the durability of this is. But for the first time, they can make this into a liquid that they can do injection molding or they can make garbage bags. With standard techniques, that's important. You don't have to retool your factory. You just get another shipment of what looks to be the same stuff to you in China, and you injection mold my Tupperware with the same process, basically the same cooling time, basically the same shipping loss. Yeah. None of those numbers hopefully would change much, or they'd go up would be even better if you had yeah. less shipping loss breakage as it as it goes across the ocean. Mm-hmm. And then I get to buy it as the hippie nerd and know that when I put it in the ground, it's going away. And a little bonus I point out in the video, provides nutrients to yeah. plants, which is just ridiculous that I could grind this thing up and compost it. compost it, it yeah. And use it in that way. Oh, that just makes me happy that so science is solving these problems. If you went to McDonald's and got a Sunday, and they gave you a plastic spoon to eat your Sunday with, which they do now, would you be reticent to use it if you knew it was actually made out of bug skeletons? Absolutely not. It's made out of dead uh, plants from the dinosaur era. Anyway, right. And gasoline. Right. right. And dinosaur poop. 
And you know, it's made from crap out of the ground anyhow. It pretty much is, yeah. And dies, and cancerous dies, and in factories in terrible places with child labor. They're gonna Not need that all some, that would change. They're going to need some marketing, though. You know, bug plastic. You don't even call it do that. It. Yeah. You, I don't know where the sausage is made, and right. I don't think about all the little Chinese kids who lose fingers making right. those plastic spoons. Mm. You can turn that part of your brain off as a consumer, yep, unfortunately. I don't question all of that horror that is living in Shenzhen and all mm -hmm, that. Mm -hmm. The people, the suicide nets oh, for yeah. my iPod. Yep. Certainly making it out of bugs is almost less gross than <laughs> what we do with humans when they manufacture yeah. these things. Now, there's one other, one little side thing that they didn't address in this is that, uh, you know, the plastic bags you get from the supermarket. Yes. Those are made out of polypropylene. Uh, people think, oh, it's, you know, they're being made out of oil. And, well... Not really. It's actually it's a byproduct. It, that's recycling too. Yes. Um, now the problems with plastic bags. It's not the resources. It's what do you do after you're done with the plastic bag? They get in the ocean and things choke on them. They get stuck in trees. You know that's the problem with plastic bags. But and canvas bags are not as good a solution as people think. You oh, have yeah? to use a plastic bag 50 to 75 times to offset the carbon of right. a plastic bag. No, that's true. And they, they and fill we up use a them an average of 15. Yep. Before we throw them in the garbage. I just for another podcast did an, a comparison of uh, paper, plastic, and canvas. And you know what? They've all got their problems. So uh, paper. Paper's huge polluter. Paper bags are horrible for pollution. And it decomposes if you can give it oxygen. Right, you which pack usually it in the you can't. Landfill, it's the same it as the plastic. It decompose as much. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the canvas bags fill with bacteria very quickly. And a little then bit the of numbers meat don't quite jive. Right. We so use them 15 times. We should be using them 50 to 75. The, the answer seems to be, you know, try to reuse bags when it makes sense. Make sure the bags end up in the trash. I'm a know. fan of reduce the packaging you give oh, me. Oh, yeah. And then what bag I put it in at the end point at the cashier mm -hmm. does not matter. Right. So then I have a free choice because I'm using less. Each individual pork chop maybe isn't wrapped. Maybe the old butcher paper piece of yeah. tape handed yeah, yeah. to me maybe the produce is laying out, maybe the cereal's loose bulk, then I can put it in a plastic bag, take that plastic bag, put it in a plastic bag, and while yeah. these are not great things to be, I should, I don't know, be carrying my cereal home in my pocket. <laughs> I mean, in a perfect world, yeah, yeah, I made my own bag at home from scrap cloth. I'm not that big of a hippie nerd. <laughs> but now, the even those plastic bags are a net gain yeah. over the big post box of Rice Krispies packaging sitting on the shelf. Yeah, I know it's true. But what I, a couple of things I do, um, I don't put my produce, I don't put it in its own bag unless I have to. You know, if I grab some onions, I'm not yeah. going to put them in another plastic bag. Who cares? And uh, I, what I do is because I, I walk to the grocery store, I live in the city, don't have a car, I bring really big bags. So my one vinyl bag is the same size as four plastic bags. So even if I don't use that vinyl bag 75 times because it'll rip or I'll forget it or whatever, I'm still saving on regular plastic bags every time I go. But I'm in a rather hippie part of uh, Chicago. Rogers Park is a mm -hmm. little hippie kind of area. So, of course, we have an all-organic, uh, oh, yeah. locally sourced farmer's market every Sunday mm -hmm. that I can walk to with my backpack. And when you open your backpack for that fellow hippie farmer to put, they are more than happy to just shove produce <laughs> and pack it down in your backpack. Whereas the cashier may not get what you're trying to do. Right. She may not be as big a hippie as you are. The, the folks there, my patchouli smelling brothers yeah. <laughs> and sisters, the unshaven masses behind the counter. I'm like, hey, man, could you just throw it in my bag? Yeah, sure, brother. Scrunch, scrunch. Yeah, right. Oh, it's great. You just go where there's like-minded people. 
and we're all pulling together, and I'm not doing anything but making myself feel better, <laughs> but I feel a little better when I walk home thinking, okay, I've saved point zero 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 percent of a planet today. You're welcome, Uganda. But you know what? If you need plastic bags for the dog poop or the cat poop, or you just want to have some plastic bags, don't feel guilty Oh, use them. Even me them. with my stupid earth-saving ways, my Captain Planet ass, I'm not going to look down on you. No. It's fine. You'll make it up. For all I know, you drove a Tesla to go get your plastic <laughs> <Right>. poop bags. <laughs> the bad news is we broke the Kepler. <laughs> Oops. The good news is a really smart team or dude or lady somewhere fixed our Kepler. Yeah. That's the thing with satellites. You know, they, they can have a simple problem. Like one of the wheels, this thing has wheels that spin that help it. First, let's explain what a Kepler is. Yeah, well, right. well, it's a satellite. Space telescope. <laughs> yeah. It's a space that looks telescope. for exoplanets for the last five years. Yes. Now explain the wheels. So it's got these wheels in it. The <laughs> wheels, they they help the thing know where it is in space, basically. Yeah, why do you need wheels in space? What are they doing donuts? What the are they doing Gyroscopic motion and stuff. And okay. they, there's a lot of math involved. And honestly, I don't know what I'm talking about if that's not obvious. But one of them is broken. Now, on Earth, you could probably... We know what that means. Yeah, broken we it's got. broken. It don't work. So you could probably go up to the thing and just kick it. And <laughs> it's just, um, there's no one up there to kick it. Have you tried <laughs> slapping it? <laughs> it's that kind of a problem. You need percussive maintenance but so this thing this yeah. thing really i mean it, it's done a wonderful job it was launched in 2009 and then it, it it's not going to be fixed they tried to no. determine if they could fix it remotely whatever it's, not it's sitting up there plenty of fuel yep uh plenty of life left in it and a lot of other very expensive implements you said it cost how much to make it was 600 million to make and you know the part and to that, put it out there the part that broke is maybe 100 bucks and you've got all these sensors and the fuel source and all that is still perfectly functioning it's just this one little plastic piece that's broken so august 2013 nasa asks for help yeah okay. and that's what i mean by some clever group or lad or lady mm -hmm. somewhere came up with a solution and that's using, so every 83 days for the next two years, we're going to get two more years out of it until good. some other genius figures right. out that's some just way a proposal, to, right. to go out there and kick it real hard. Like yeah. Shoot a rock at it. And in 35 <laughs> years, it'll hit that thing and restart it. <laughs> Have you tried turning it off and back on again? Um, they, they did. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> that they did. That better be the first thing they tried. I've been yelling at my mom to do that for years. Uh, so every 83 days, it will hit a sweet spot. And the photons coming from the, the sun. Apparently, and again, I don't know what I'm talking about, the pressure from the photons from the sun can help that. They, they basically replace the function of the broken wheel. And for that moment, the thing knows where it is, and it can refocus and re-aim at whatever Always its target is. Always the same field of vision, though, because yes. the photons have to hit at a certain angle, and the sun isn't going to move no matter how much we ask it right. to. So it's always at that angle, and then it looks and it can see this piece of space but in its case, because it's such a long-distance telescope, a piece of space oh, huge. is huge. Right. So we can't move it around a whole lot, but it still has a field of vision of, you know, oh, a billion or so stars. Yeah, if the photon is stable, it tells them. There's a, there's a, we'll put it a, the graphic yeah, on the, the show on notes so you can see, but eh, you, you're going to get as, unless you study this, you're going to get as much out as we can. <laughs> if the light is stable, the photons are stable, that tells you one thing. If they're unstable, another thing, and how they're unstable will give you more data. Yeah. The magic. It's magic. It's magic. Those guys at Hogwarts are brilliant. So that's There's the cool analyzing. thing. There, there's so much science now that we have basically because people on Earth have been like, hmm, what can we do this? Like, you know, look at Voyager. Voyager is way out. It's 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 entered interstellar. It's kind of a joke in the science community. It's entered interstellar space 12 times now because there are different definitions of interstellar space. But the only reason... Now, this thing... 
this, it's, this thing is a nuclear power plant, so that's going to keep it going for a long time. That's good. But it has a transmitter that's the same power as a 60-watt light bulb. Now, this thing is beyond the solar system, and we need to somehow see a 60-watt light bulb beyond the solar system. Now, the original engineers were like, well, pfft, that's never going to happen. But our technology on Earth has advanced enough that we can actually see a 60-watt light bulb millions and millions and millions of miles beyond Pluto. And that's what's cool about what NASA does. It's not just they put the stuff up there. They figure out ways to keep it going. I mean, look at the uh, rovers on Mars, Spirit and Opportunity. That one has been going yeah, for, what, four years past its mission? It was a 90-day mission, and it's almost 10 years now, I think. That's insane. That's good bang for the buck. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you always hear they cost $300 million, $800 million, yeah, a billion like dollars, and, you know. But, you know, I guess you pay uh, an engineer 120 grand a year to work at NASA. Yeah, right. They work real hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you know, hats off to NASA and the in, in creative people. Have you ever watched Apollo 13? And, you know, you see what they do to get the, bring the guys back. That kind of thinking goes into all of this stuff. When, when Hubble, geez, Hubble was And that kind of thinking also, times. We, yeah, we want to <laughs> grow that here on Earth because that kind of thinking also leads to medical advances. Yeah. It leads to technological advances. It leads to new, fun toys like iPods and iPhones right. and iWatches, Velcro, et cetera, but also leads to better pacemakers, better human brain interfaces for equipment and for quadriplegics and all this this technology comes right back to us. So paying these really smart people to sit in a room and solve puzzles occasionally spits out a solution because they get inspired and go, oh, that doesn't work. Oh, right. but it does make a really good artificial leg. Yeah, exactly. And then they file that patent and we all move forward as a species. It's the subtle advantage of the space program. It's very easy to say $600 million, how many hungry kids could you feed for that? And you have an argument there. You could feed a lot of hungry kids for 600 million people. But eventually we're going to get an advance uh, in technology from the space program that's going to feed a billion. Thank you so much for spending a little bit of your day your night, your afternoon, whenever indulging us for a half hour or so <laughs> of, of nerdiness that is our podcast. Yes. If you live near Chicago or know someone who does, send them to our show. It's a free show. Yeah. Uh, Jeff's organization, the College of Curiosity, underwrites it along with the boredom from me and Blake because we want something to do. <laughs> and the, uh, three to four of us, depending on the week you come, put on a show 1 mm -hmm. p.m. Saturdays. If you go to whiptheater.com, W-I-P, whip, work in progress. Whip Theater, T-H-E-A-T-E-R, the American spelling for those of you overseas and in Canada. Theater. Theater, not theatre. <laughs> I guess that'd be the proper spelling. We're yes. the Americans. We always have to change it. <laughs> Go to whiptheater.com and just click the kids page and you'll see it's a fun show. We yeah. fire. We do old Nikola Tesla and Michael Faraday demonstrations yep. with electrical power. We throw poop at your children. 64 million year old dinosaur yeah, poop or animal old. poop. So it, it's yeah. a rock. So we throw rocks at your children. That's as well. even better. But in the name of science, I stone your children with knowledge. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's free. You can bring your own cotton candy if you like. Yeah. We don't care. Love little theater in Edison Park. Until next week, I'm the Whip Theater's Tom Britton. And I'm College of Curiosity's Jeff Wagg with the second half of the puzzle. So, London Tube, the underground, you have two escalators leading up and one escalator leading down. I Why? feel like this is an easy one and I'm going to feel stupid. It's not. I mean, it is Good. and it isn't. So the, <laughs> the thing you're thinking is, well, it's harder to walk up, so you need two escalators because some people are going to walk down the stairs. That's not the answer. The answer is that everyone arrives at the train at different times, but everyone gets off the train at the same time. So they all leave the train and they all need to go up the escalator, so you need twice as much capacity going out. Thank you.